0: is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 1042 AM Central Daylight Time. It is the 27th of May, 2020. Oh my God, this, sorry guys, this is episode 243 of Bitcoin and let's start with Dan Held. Dan, yesterday sometime, decided that uh, he would uh, tweet this thing out, which I found fairly interesting. Uh, The game Monopoly sold for $2 in 1935. In the box, you get Monopoly money, that original stack of Monopoly money from 1935, is worth $50 as a collector's item. Monopoly money literally holds more value than your fiat currency. Yikes, bro, yikes. Okay, let's get right on into um, uh, the morning roundup here. This one is out of Cointelegraph. $13 billion custodian launches retirement account supporting Bitcoin. Samuel Haig writing for Telegraph. sometime this morning, Kingdom Trust, a regulated custodian managing over $13 billion in assets, has launched a retirement account supporting both Bitcoin and legacy assets. Kingdom Trust, a South Dakota-based financial custodian that manages more than $13 billion in assets, has launched said retirement account. The launch of the account Choice, that's the name of it, follows the acquisition of Choice Holdings, a digital asset focused retirement account that was built by CoinShares veterans. Kingdom Trust already backs more than 100,000 retirement accounts and custodies over 20,000 assets, including Bitcoin, BTC. To incentivize signups, Kingdom Trust will give $62.50 worth of Bitcoin to the first 1,000 Choice account holders. Speaking to Cointelegraph, Coinshare's founder and Kingdom Trust CEO Ryan Radloff estimates that there are 7.1 million Bitcoin holders in the United States. Quote, By our estimates, there are 7.1 million Americans who own Bitcoin, have a retirement account, but currently don't have the option to hold Bitcoin in their retirement account with the other assets, said Radloff. What we are doing <clears throat> is we are now opening up the ability to not just trade Bitcoin, But you can do digital assets or legacy assets like your stocks and bonds from one retirement account, he added. Radloff stated that the Choice product was motivated by a desire to give people the option of investing their retirement accounts into alternative and crypto assets, allowing people to get out of the Fed's rat trap. Quote, when the IRS decided to tax Bitcoin, consequently, it enabled Bitcoin to be held by IRS and other qualified custodians that are regulated by the IRS and their state divisions. It directly enabled Bitcoin to be held by qualified custodians and in retirement accounts. Quote, most of the Bitcoin community doesn't even know that they can hold Bitcoin in their retirement account yet. Right now, most of these Americans' retirement accounts are sitting at some bank that is telling them that Bitcoin is too risky, while at the same time forcing them to only own stocks or mutual funds, Radloff continued. Quote, I'm mad as hell about it, so we're out to do something about it where you can have the choice to own Bitcoin or stocks and bonds from one account for the first time so that we're not just dictated by these banks to stay in the Fed's rat trap. So there you go, man. Uh, finally, so uh, it's, it's, I'm not gonna say it's happening because we got a price run and that's always a bad deal to do, but something's happening. I mean, come on, retirement accounts getting into some Bitcoin there. <clears throat> okay this is daily hodl staff writing for the daily hodl sometime this morning in sudden crypto turnaround jp morgan now says bitcoin is significantly undervalued well welcome to bitcoin you guys geez it does like what okay well after years of being bearish on bitcoin the largest bank in the united states is now changing its tune about the world's leading cryptocurrency the latest bitcoin analysis from jp morgan is circulating on twitter dated may the 22nd the report from research analyst nicolas oh, there is no way i'm pronouncing that name guys Logablo that uh, i tried looks at the intrinsic value of bitcoin by treating it as a commodity and basing the price on the marginal cost of producing BTC. According to the report, Bitcoin is trading 25% below what the intrinsic price would be following the halving event, which reduced block rewards from 12.5 BTC to 6.25 BTC. Based on Bitcoin's price, when the report was published, JP Morgan placed BTC's intrinsic value at $11,593. Geez, a little bullish. (laughs) Wow. J.P. Morgan has been historically bearish on the top currency. Last year, analysts at the investment bank said Bitcoin had topped its intrinsic value after the price rose above marginal cost. Earlier this year, analysts at J.P. Morgan believed that Bitcoin had some downside risks, as reported by Bloomberg. In September of 2017, Chief Executive Jamie Dimon said he would fire any employees who was caught trading BTC because it was both stupid and against company rules. J.P. Morgan's new report, an apparent shift in Bitcoin sentiment, comes after the bank onboarded crypto exchanges, Coinbase, and Gemini as customers, marking a potential end to the bank's anti-crypto era. So, say hello to our new friends at J.P. Morgan. Spoiler. They're not our friends, okay? The the fact that they're capitulating, but that doesn't make them our friends. I suspect J.P. Morgan will engage in just as much chicanery now as before. <clears throat> Again, welcoming people to frickin' Bitcoin, uh, crypto whale frenzy, $108 million in Bitcoin bought in just five days, reports Sentiment. Again, Daily Hotel staff writing for Daily Hodel sometime this morning says, new numbers from the crypto market data platform Santiment indicate Bitcoin whales are buying the dip at a rapid clip. Now, <clears throat> I should pause and let, and note that after the word Bitcoin, in parentheses, is BTC. Okay, we're not talking about the shit forks of Bitcoin. We're talking about actual, real, dyed-in-the-wool Bitcoin here. <clears throat> The large BTC buys began after BTC hit strong resistance near the 10,000 barrier. Are BTC whales coming back to accumulate? Since Bitcoins dropped below 9,500 on May the 20th, addresses holding 100 or more Bitcoins have added another 12,000 BTC to their bags, more than $108 million at current prices. Propensity to accumulate into dips and offload their bags slightly before short-term tops occur. Will this history repeat itself in quote, the move coincides with a shift in crypto sentiment on Twitter, according to sentiment tweets about BTC are now mostly negative for the first time in more than a month, the shift could indicate that most traders expect the price of the leading cryptocurrency to continue to fall. Although it may seem counterintuitive, sentiment says buying opportunities often emerge when overall sentiment is down as traders become overly negative during BTC retracements. Quote, for the first time since April the 13th, The sentiment volume consumed chart for Twitter followers on their positive slash negative ratio of comments related to BTC is negative, according to sentiment feeds tracking. This ends a 40 plus day streak of the crypto community on this platform holding a majority positive regard toward the number one market cap coin. Generally, the most prominent buy opportunities occur when crowd sentiment is in the negative. So plan accordingly, particularly if it reaches a level around minus 0.5, and then they give this sentiment volume consumed versus BTC price chart. A number of crypto analysts, including Josh Raggers, say they expect the current pullback to continue dragging BTC below the 8,000 mark or lower. Bitcoin is down 0.3% at time of publishing at 8890 this is prices no longer current, as you might imagine. We'll get to that when we do vitals. Decrypt.co's Daniel Phillips writing this one. Uh, we'll have to wait for these guys. Goldman Sachs denies Bitcoin as an asset class. Looking at the slides of the upcoming call, Goldman Sachs will throw cold water on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general. Well, of course they will. Today, Goldman Sachs, one of the world's largest investment banks, will be holding a conference with investors discussing the current state of the economy, inflation, and Bitcoin, among other things. But despite the hype, it appears Goldman Sachs isn't likely to discuss Bitcoin favorably to its investors. The talk, titled, quote, U.S. Economic Outlook and Implications of Current Policies for Inflation, Gold, and Bitcoin, and quote, will be hosted by Sharman Musavar Rahmani, I butchered that. Sorry, Sharman, <clears throat> Chief Investment Officer at Goldman Sachs Investment Strategy Group and is scheduled to go live at 1030 Eastern AM. But according to the slides that were leaked just minutes ago, Bitcoin enthusiasts might want to sit this one out. And they've got a tweet here from uh, Zach Vole. He's got one slide in this tweet, a uh, bullet point list that says, one, do not, or cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, are not an asset class is the heading, okay? Um it, This one, so the bullet points are in order here. Do not generate cash flow like bonds. Do not generate any earnings through exposure to global economic growth. Do not provide consistent diversification benefits given their unstable correlations. Do not dampen volatil- volatility given historical volatility of 76%. Do not show evidence of hedging inflation. We believe that a security whose appreciation is primarily dependent on whether someone else is willing to pay a higher price for it is not a suitable investment for our clients. Welcome to most of freaking stocks. We also believe that while hedge funds may f- uh, find trading cryptocurrencies appealing because of their high volatility, that allure does not constitute a viable investment rationale. I rather believe that last one, but whatever. According to an image shared by Coindesk Zach vol on Twitter, which is the one that I was telling you about. Um, <clears throat> Goldman Sachs has outright slammed cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin stating plain and simply cryptocurrency including Bitcoin is not an asset class. Uh, the slide as I read went on to list all the reasons why. Why? Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. The slide also throws cold water on hopes that Goldman Sachs may be planning to expose its investors to Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. "Quote: We also believe that while hedge funds may find trading cryptocurrencies appealing because of their high volatility, it does not constitute a viable investment rationale." Yeah, I know. We 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 read that one. Here. In further claims, the Bitcoin can't be a conduit for illicit activity. Oh God. Quote, despite that most cryptocurrency ledgers are permanent and auditable public records, cryptocurrencies nevertheless abet illicit activities such as Ponzi schemes, ransomware, money laundering, and dark net markets, the slide state. I'm going to hold up right there. How did the United States dollar and any other fiat currency not enable the exact same shit? How? How did it not enable the exact same shit? It just, uh, sometimes these are hard to read. There's also a timeline of crypto exchange hacks. As Decrypt has reported, more than $1 billion was stolen in crypto hacks in 2018, although this did drop to $371 million in 2019. Perhaps Goldman Sachs has a point. Well, don't keep your shit on exchanges. It's not all that hard, guys. It's, it's not. Uh, okay, so here we go. This is a good one. William Suberg writing for Cointelegraph. Sometime this morning, backed B A K K T physical Bitcoin futures beat cash ahead of major CME expiry. Volumes of backed futures delivered in BTC are trumping fiat settlements. Nice. Be odd, or sorry, be odd. Bitcoin futures platform back now sees most of its contracts settled in BTC, not cash. The latest data reveals that's important, guys. Let me read it again. Bitcoin futures platform back now sees most of its contracts settled in Bitcoin and not cash. According to analytics a resource Skew. The latest date <clears throat> for which data is available in May, produced $34 million for BAC's physically settled Bitcoin futures. Cash settled Bitcoin futures recorded 9.3 million in volume, while total open interest was 6 or $7.6 million. The trend reverses the previous status quo under which future settled in fiat saw larger volumes. This was the case throughout March and April as volatility underscored investors' desire for cash. May meanwhile also saw a daily record for physically settled futures at backed at 43 million dollars. <throat> this Friday will further see 50% of open interest expire at fellow non-exchange future provider CME Group as Coin Telegraph reported. Such settlement dates tend to compound downward price pressure on Bitcoin in the short term. CME's open interest hit its own all-time high in the first week of the month. Nonetheless, a gap which opened up in the CME order book over the weekend was conspicuously filled on Wednesday in line with another regular trend seen since 2017 when Bitcoin futures began trading. The BTC-USD pair suddenly rose from $8,900 to 9200 on the day sealing the gap which lay between $9,065 and $9,180 bucks. Institutional Bitcoin investment has returned to the spotlight in recent weeks. A major event for commentators was an admission by billionaire hedge fund player Paul Tudor Jones that he now kept up to 2% of his net assets in BTC. Thereafter, uh, RT host Max Kaiser, among others, claimed that sooner or later, others would have no choice but to follow his conspicuous endorsement of the cryptocurrency. So there you go. More people want their shit settled in actual Bitcoin than nasty, dirty, stinky fiat. Mm, India in the news. Jeff Benson writing this for Decrypt.co. India Central Bank gives green light for crypto firm bank accounts. The Reserve Bank of India is standing down. After the Supreme Court ruled it couldn't ban crypto traders and crypto-related firms from accessing bank services. This is a big one. The Reserve Bank of India on May the 22nd said no such prohibition exists in response to an official query about whether banks must continue stopping crypto traders and crypto businesses from using their services, according to reporting from Economic Times. The central bank's clarification comes over two months after a March 4 Supreme Court ruling that overturned the RBI's ban on banking services for crypto-related ventures. In the interim, some crypto dealers had complained of remaining frozen out of their banking system. Okay. In April of 2018, the RBI filled a circular, or sorry, filed a circular, that prohibited any entities it regulated from providing services to individuals or businesses involved with virtual currencies. That decision, which effectively shut off banking services to crypto exchanges, led to several local exchanges shutting down, including ZebPay, uh, Coinomi, Coinx, and CryptoCart. Never heard of CryptoCart. Crypto businesses fought the ban in court, which ultimately overturned RBI's ban. "Quote: RBI needs to show at least some semblance of any damage suffered by its regulated entities." In quote, wrote the court in its ruling, but there is none. They said. <laughs> However, rumor had it that the RBI would file a review petition to the court and ask it to change its mind. So much for that, the bank never filed a petition. Nonetheless, banks were reportedly hesitant to give Crypto Businesses Banking Access Unocoin co-founder B.V. Harris told Economic Times, quote, bankers have been saying that they need new RBI circulars mentioning that there is or there are no more restrictions for them to provide bank accounts for crypto businesses, end quote. To make sure banks got the message that the Supreme Court's decision stood, Harris filed a right to information query on April the 25th and received a response on May the 22nd confirming the April 2018 prohibition no longer stands. The indication that the RBI is standing down in its years-long fight with crypto exchanges means that India, home to 1.3 billion people, may be on the verge of massive market upheaval. Some are better placed to win customers than others. Playing the long game, several large institutional exchanges moved into the country during the ban. Binance bought local exchange WhereasX in November of 2019, a month before South Korea based BitHum or Bitthumb, I don't know, Bitthumb, B I T H U M B, you figure out how it's pronounced. BitHum Global announced it would give local operators liquidity. The floodgates are officially opened. And officially, that's it for part one of the snooze you can use. Let's do some vitals. We'll start with the funny money. Major indexes uh, seem to be all up, uh, except for the NASDAQ, which is down almost a percent. S&P is up a quarter of a percent. Dow Jones is up one percent. FTSE is up one and a quarter percent. The Nikkei is up uh, three quarters of a percent. Uh, volatility has risen a percent. Eh, meh, meh, really don't give that much of a shit. And if you will remember uh, the bond price story, that if bond prices fall, you should probably get into Bitcoin. Well, everything but the United States uh, three-month and the German ten-year bond have all fallen on their yields. Oils uh, had a down day, four and a half percent down. Its last was thirty-two dollars and eighty cents. Natural gas followed suit, two dollar or two point seven three percent down it's going for $1.74 ostensibly for a million cubic feet. Gold is also down almost a percent. It's at 1700 and it goes on and on. But let's talk about actual money. Bitcoin has again <clears throat> is well it's it's above 9000. Vegeta. Vegeta. Bitcoin at $9,160. It looks like our low is going to be over there at CoinsBit at nine thousand and fifty bucks. Our high is at BitAsset at nine thousand two hundred and nineteen. Three hundred and two thousand transactions were done in the last twenty-four hours, giving us uh, oh back to normal about twelve thousand five hundred transactions on average per hour. million BTC have been sent over the last 24 hours with 51,200 BTC being sent on average per hour with the average transaction value being about four BTC. The median transaction value at 0.04 BTC or about 450 bucks. Block times are not as high as they were, but they are still high. They are about 11 minutes. We have had... 0.61 0.61 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 80 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a 1% downward hash rate drop. We are at 91.31 exahashes per second. And that's, remember, this is all bid info charts. I will look at my note here in a second, see what it says. The last time nobody did anything on Bitcoin because apparently nobody ever develops on Bitcoin, according to all the detractors, which is why I always give you the GitHub last commit date. Yeah, today. Somebody did something on Bitcoin today. All right. Jesus. I mean, guys, Ethereum at 206, Bcash 232, BSV at 185, Litecoin at 43 and a half. Ethereum Classic at six and three quarters, and Dogecoin holding it at zero point zero zero two five, and with thirty six thousand eight hundred transactions in the last twenty four hours, it's beating the snot out of Litecoin and just walking all up and down. Bcash, their transaction volume has dropped, is dropping, or has been dropping, and has dropped yet again. They are now sub fifteen thousand transactions in the last twenty four hours. Why? Because it's a shit coin, that's why. Now, my node has the hash rate on the daily average at 98 exahashes per second, with the weekly average being 91.3 exahashes per second. I'm seeing 16,000 pending transactions. So let's roll over to Clark Moody Dashboard. Clark Moody Bitcoin. That's bitcoin.clarkmoody.com forward slash Bitcoin. It is also showing a price of $9,149 for Bitcoin. Uh, we'll do the trans. Let's see, look at the, the or my mempool. Uh, and I'm looking at Clark Moody's, probably his nodes mempool. Uh, there are 15,931 transactions waiting to be cleared. That gives us about 50 megabytes chilling in his mempool and my mempool. Okay, we've got to be a little bit... Uh, Careful about saying the mempool because we all have a mempool and they all agree. That is, if you're running a node, I remind you it's cheap to run a node. If you want to be part of this entire movement, run a full node, do it today. You can do it on a Raspberry Pi 4. I got mine chilling out with its own little terabyte hard drive in the corner. It's always on. Even if I turn my main computer off, my The Raspberry Pi is its own computer. It stays on and supports the network. Support the Bitcoin network today. Run a full node. Lightning network stats. We have, holy shit, 920 BTC is chilling as the total capacity for the lightning network, giving us $8.42 million of liquidity in the network, over 7,046 nodes representing 35,312 channels. We have 407.9 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, which means that the percentage of the Tor side of the network is 44.3%. The number of Tor nodes has risen yet again. We are now at 2,051 Tor nodes. That's gonna be vitals. I feel bad. I hadn't read the read about the bond news yet. And I was telling you as if I had already read it. I had not. That's just the way the memory works, man. You got to give me a break. All right. Long Bitcoin. If U.S. bond yields fall, top analyst asserts. This is Yeshu Gola writing for Bitcoinist.com sometime this morning. So, uh, yeah, the bond prices of U.S. bonds has fallen. Okay. Well... Let's find out how much they have to fall before this shit happens. At current prices, the yield on the U.S. 10-year treasury bond is too insufficient to justify a decade-long investment. Nevertheless, people hold long bonds more as a strategic tool to extend their portfolio's duration or to trade them later to offset their loss in an equity-heavy portfolio. But it might be time to bring more back up into a portfolio as bond yields tread near zero. Hence, Kuo Wang, director of product at Misari, in his latest note to clients, the the data scientist asserted that he expects to own long Bitcoin positions if the yield on U.S. 10-year Treasury note falls. He took cues from Bitcoin's growing positive correlation with the S&P 500, noting that the Wall Street index's forward earnings yield and dividend are at 4 and 1% respectively. In comparison, the benchmark bonds return are pretty much zero, which could send investors to seek benefits in risk on markets. Quote, I'm closely monitoring the treasury yields, wrote Mr. Wang. Treasury markets tend to be a powerful leading indicator. It certainly did in late January. If the 10-year yield breaks the low, then it's time to be defensive. My core positions, long Bitcoin, gold, Amazon, Alibaba, end quote. The statements followed more than two months of relentless quantitative easing, and that's QE infinity, guys, and forced interest rate cut by the Federal Reserve. The United States central bank's policies have increased bond prices to the point that most of them have become become downright dangerous to hold, let alone offer a better safety net for investors. The yields investors make today from holding a long U.S. 10-year position looks insufficient in offsetting the losses that may transpire in the event of a stock market crash. They may choose to hold the bond for its complete duration, even though the central bank increases the interest rate. That might mean more lost opportunities for long bond investors. Stephen Gray, CEO and Chief Investment Officer at Gray Value Management, LLC, in early March recommended investors to keep their portfolio in cash so that they have enough liquidity to enter better yielding assets. More than two months later, when both the S&P 500 and Bitcoin have risen dramatically due to a similar cash injection, Mr. Wang called the cash inflow a real signal for the Bitcoin market. As the Fed prints and handles an endless amount of money, it offsets the credit contraction in the economy and leaves behind a positive wealth effect. A portion of that money ends up in the Bitcoin market, often as a hedge against the U.S. bonds. So, uh, oh, this final quote. All in all, I'm bullish in the medium term. In a few months to a couple of years out, added Mr. Wang about his Bitcoin call. So there you go. There you go. Uh, Mr. Wang doing the the right thing for himself. Okay. Okay. this is more about personal responsibility than Ethereum's failure at, I don't know, everything. But hackers steal $1,200 worth of Ethereum in under 100 seconds. This is Liam Frost writing for Decrypt.co. Malicious bots are scanning GitHub uploads for private crypto keys and seed phrases. This was written today. Okay, guys, dude, you've, you'll understand why I'm reading this one for you today. A Reddit user has lost 1,200 bucks worth of Ethereum after he accidentally left his wallet's recovery phrase in a GitHub repository, an offline—sorry, an, oh, an online file storage area. While this is, or at the very least, should be, an uncommon situation, it turned out that hackers had already prepared malicious bots since the user's funds disappeared in less than two minutes. Quote. A hacker got my mnemonic and stole 1,200 of Ethereum from my Metamask wallet in under 100 seconds. The hackers were using a bot to scan for the monomic phrases across GitHub, and I accidentally left it in my code on a GitHub repo while I was sending to a hack money hackathon the Redditor wrote today mnemonic or seed phrases or combinations of 12 words set in a specific order which allow you to restore access to a crypto wallet. Essentially, they are the last line of defense alongside private keys, the password that lets you spend coins. If someone gets a hold of one, they can get full access to your wallet and funds that are being kept in it. No, no, no. Not they can. They have full access. Not that they could, or it could be possible No, if they've got your mnemonic, they got your shit, bro. Just be aware, okay? In short, you shouldn't upload your private keys or seed phrase on public open source repositories such as GitHub or anywhere else that's public for that matter. The user noted that he still has almost $700 worth of ERC-20 tokens locked in the Compound DeFi protocol which is used for lending crypto to other people. But if he withdraws the money, it gets sent to the wallet where the bot is siphoning out every bit of ETH. He can't win. uh, Another problem with DeFi. In Ethereum, you need a token to pay transaction fees called GAS to transfer your tokens. If two people try to move the same amount of Ethereum at the same time, it's likely that the one with greater fees will get processed, but the bot is automatically submitting transactions with higher fees winning the race every time. Quote, although there are some coins and tokens left, the bot will siphon any Ethereum I have to prevent me from moving my coins and or outmatch my attempts by supplying more gas, the user explained. A somewhat similar case was reported last September when hackers compromised a wallet that contained a number of rare crypto kitties, uh, non-fungible Ethereum tokens, each representing a unique digital cat. Um, oh, sorry I got uh, distracted by this there's a really cute little drawing of crypto kitties with, with smiley faces and it shows a whole bunch of arrows going ETH in and ETH out and, and little guys with sunglasses walking around and uh, yeah After a malicious bot connected itself to the wallet, it similarly started to reroute all incoming ETH, effectively turning the heist into a hostage situation as there was no conventional way to free the tokens due to the lack of funds needed to pay for gas. Although, in the end, the owners managed to free their poor kitties. While some could blame such situations exclusively on the lack of personal cybersecurity wits, Individual users are far from the only ones who make such mistakes, as Decrypt reported on May the nineteenth. A group of white hat hackers has recently discovered that two crypto exchanges had accidentally exposed thousands of users' private keys holding over eighteen million dollars in total. Time to start looking after those private keys, yeah, well, yeah, so this is this is actually much worse than you would think. I mean it's twelve hundred bucks, but the the way the attack is running is you're kind of hosed because game theory, this is why I Bitcoin and I don't get into super complicated things that can be backdoored or ultimately, you know, gamed into uh, game somebody into a shitty position of having to hand over all their tokens. Again, guys, this is why I Bitcoin. And it with, if proof of stake on Ethereum ever, 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 ever happens, expect that gaming of people's shit to get even worse because it just opens up a whole new kettle of fish. And again, when you start poking complex systems, you never know what's going to come out the other side or if you're going to get your face ripped off. Again, it's why I Bitcoin. Coinbase buys Tagomi as foundation of institutional trading arm this was written by Ian Allison sometime this morning for coindesk.com I wish this wasn't about Coinbase but whatever San Francisco based cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase is finally acquiring Tagomi a prime brokerage firm specializing in digital asset trading announced Wednesday that today the two companies said the deal is expected to be finalized later this year's year without disclosing the financial terms. Quote, we are going to be integrating the Tagomi platform into our product suite and it will form the foundation for the future of our institutional trading business, said Sean Agarwal, head of corporate development at Coinbase. In terms of how the integration will pan out, Agarwal added Tagomi will continue to operate for the near future. We're still thinking through long-term options. A little interruption there. Sorry about that. Uh, Where were we? Where were we? The purchase of Tagomi by Coinbase has been in the pipeline since last year when the deal was prematurely reported to have closed. A source familiar with recent developments said it was an all-stock deal and significantly less than the $150 million reported last year. Crypto Prime Brokerage which offers institutional clients easier access to liquidity, custody, lending, and other products appears to be on a roll right now. Genesis Trading, owned by Coindust Parrot DCG, recently purchased Crypto custodian Volt in a bid to become a prime broker. London-based Bquant launched a prime brokerage service earlier this month, and BitGo also announced its prime brokerage play earlier on Wednesday. Coinbase said the acquisition comes at something of an inflection point in the industry with recent pronouncements by Paul Tudor Jones, God, guys, dude, I mean, enough, serving as a bellwether for Bitcoin acceptance from a leading hedge fund and macro investor. Coinbase also said it has seen a 100% increase in volume from professional and institutional traders over the past three months, but some commentators will see that the Togomi ideal as consolidation in a market that has turned out to be sluggish, at least as far as the eagerly awaited arrival of traditional and institutional investment is concerned. Quote, we definitely all thought there would be more banking and asset manager interest and Togomi really built a product that would muster up to those people, Togomi co-founder Mark Bagarva told Coindesk. According to certain reports, Togomi has been on the hunt for new opportunities because its fees on trading volumes of around $1 billion a year were only adding up to about $1 million in revenue. Togomi has had a focus on best execution which involves pooling buy and sell orders across 10 or so large crypto exchanges including Coinbase, Binance and Gemini and then routing clients transactions to the venues offering the best prices asked if being owned by Coinbase created any kind of conflict of interest Bagarva said he didn't necessarily think so we think we still are, we will still be able to deliver really great pricing to our clients obviously we will still have market maker relationships over time. We'll disclose which exchanges we continue to work with ended Bagarva. So like I said, wish it wasn't about Coin, Coinbase, but everybody, I mean, this whole Paul Tudor Jones seems to open, have opened at least a fairly decent looking floodgate. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this pr- uh, progresses, but still, I didn't even know who the hell Paul Tudor Jones was until he made this announcement. It's amazing how many people, I've never heard their names until they start start getting into Bitcoin and then come to find out they've been in finance for decades. I don't know, man, seems pretty damn bullish to me. Most transactions on XRP, Tezos, and EOS have no financial value. That's not very bullish for them. Ashwath Balakrishnan is writing this for CryptoBriefing.com and was actually wrote this two days ago. Despite their hype as Ethereum killers, these blockchain-based networks have failed to attract the same fervent community. Researchers from Imperial College London found that only a trivial amount of real economic activity happens over the XRP, Tezos, and EOS Ledger's Close to 82%, 95%, and 98% of all activity on Tezos, EOS, and XRP, respectively, carry no financial value. Well, that's because they're shit coins. Each of these blockchains or shitchains promised to improve crypto by scaling the number of transactions that could be processed per second, yet this increase in throughput hasn't been utilized for meaningful economic activity, according to new research. Tezos and EOS are a part of the cartel of smart contract platforms known as, quote, Ethereum killers. Oh, Ethereum killer. Because of their improved scalability relative to Ethereum. According to the research, 82% of all Tezos transactions are governance transactions called endorsements that nominate validators. This is part of the blockchain's consensus mechanism. Although this is positive for Tezos' government mechanism, it indicates that users are not leveraging the platform for much else beyond nominating validators. Sounds like a circle jerk to me. It has even led the network's co-founder to ponder the use of an alternative blockchain for her latest gaming project. EOS is in a tighter spot than Tezos. The authors of the paper note that the EOS blockchain saw a spike in activity in November 2019, which coincides with the EDOS airdrop. For context, EDOS or EDOS, is a low-cap token that has caused controversy within the EOS community due to how the airdrop of this token caused congestion on the network. 95% of all EOS transactions are tied to the EDOS token. Before EDOS, most of the activity on EOS came from gambling dApps. The spike in token transfers propagated by EDOS marked a drastic change in the composition of EOS transactions. Ripple's blockchain has found itself in a similar situation with less than 3% of transactions having a non zero value. (laughs) God. Payments and limit orders for other currencies cumulatively account for 97% of all XRP transactions, but only one in 19 payment transactions have any economic value at all, and a mere 0.2% of all limit orders are filled. As a result, only 2.2% of all activity on the ripple ledger carries meaningful economic activity ethereum and its rivals differ in the most essential aspects while eos and tezos can process more transactions per second than ethereum these networks simply don't have enough activity on chain to take advantage of it the research paper claims that tezos real throughput is around 0.08 transactions per second While EOS records around 20 transactions per second, contrary to this, Ethereum transaction fees are on the rise because of limited scalability, despite a great deal of activity. Unfortunately, most of the gas consumed on the Ethereum blockchain has been driven by Ponzi schemes running on top of it. All three networks suffer for different reasons. Although XRP, Tezos, and EOS boast much faster transactions, they have yet to attract the same base of users and developers. Conversely, Ethereum is running into scalability blocks, which are evidenced by the rise in transaction fees. Only time will tell how the sector can merge both communal fervor with improved network speeds. Sell, sell, sell. It's all I'm saying, man. Just all of this shit is crap. I don't have to say it, but I will. This is why I Bitcoin. Okay. We got to give this dude a break. Okay. I'm tired of hearing about how Laszlo would have been the most powerful human ever if he hadn't have sold all his Bitcoin for pizza. Okay. Let's do this one by Tuta Frankovich from coinspeaker.com. It was some done sometime. was Yeah. Sometime this morning, if Laszlo Hainix had sold his BTC in 2017, instead of buying pizza, He would be a billionaire. Dude, give it a rest, guys. He mined around 100,000 BTC in total, and about half of it went to pizza. If we use the historical maximum price of $20,000, then 50,000 BTC comes out to $1 billion. Hungary has plenty of famous people. For example, George Soros, famous investor and ph- philanthropist. Then you might have heard of famous actress, Zsa, Zsa Gabor, or the music- magician Harry Houdini. However, we might just presume that you have heard of Laszlo Hainix. Sound familiar, <laughs> right? Hungarian truck driver Hainix became famous when in 2010, he spent $10,000 or, I'm sorry, 10000 BTC for a pizza. This became widely known as the first commercial Bitcoin transaction and the poor Lazo became known as the Bitcoin pizza guy. A few days ago, there was the 10th anniversary of Bitcoin pizza day. He told Cointelegraph that he mined around 100,000 BTC in total and about half of it went to pizza. If we were to use the historical maximum price, then it comes out to 50,000 BTC comes out to about $1 billion. Quote, if I had mined a pool of about 100,000 BTC and I spent maybe half on pizza and the other half giving away or selling it for other stuff, I maybe made a few thousand dollars altogether. I made enough to build a new computer for Bitcoin. End quote. I will just mention here that in pay in the W Hotel, there's something called a million dollar burger. It Is amazing, and it cost around eighty bucks. It has beluga caviar, Angus beef, foie gras, and golden leaves. Back then, I thought it was crazy to give such money on a burger. Still, if we imagine a pizza slice worth six thousand BTC, we could call a million-dollar burger a pretty good, pretty good part of the deal. Hanks conveyed this event when he didn't have enough Bitcoin to purchase two slices of pizza. So he talked the seller into selling him a single slice for 6,000 BTC. He said, quote, I wasn't stingy with it and I didn't mind overpaying or whatever, end quote. Hanks, however, doesn't have any regrets to go down as the guy who kind of spent $1 billion on pizza. Quote, with 100,000 Bitcoin, I would be a billionaire right now, but then I wouldn't have gotten that pizza. In short, I paid Bitcoin using the Lightning Network. I was given a Bolt 11 invoice, which I decoded with the C Lightning CLI to verify everything was as agreed. So is there any point in doing this instead of an on-chain transaction for what I described here? Probably not. The goal was just uh, to play around with C Lightning and do something more than shuffling a few Satoshi back and and forth. I am a little that's kind of weird me out that he's talking about lightning network, because as far as I know, lightning wasn't around when he was buying these pizzas. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know about that, man. I don't know. Okay. So it's, I didn't write it. All right. I didn't write this thing. Okay. Give me a break. Grant Blaisdell, co-founder and CMO of blockchain analytics company CoinFirm, said that during the years, the funds have moved across many addresses. Some BTC went to a now defunct exchange, while some BTC remains in a highly valued wallet. Whoever owns that address also accumulated Bitcoin from elsewhere. As the wallet now totals close to $500 million in Bitcoin, Blaisdell added, quote, it's potentially someone known and active early on in the Bitcoin space. He concluded, adding, quote, we don't know who controls the address as it doesn't seem to be tied to or owned by a commercial entity such as an exchange or a wallet. The fact that the person is unknown is kind of cool in a mysterious Satoshi kind of way, end quote. <laughs> so, yeah, guys, with uh, the lightning part of this story aside, which is kind of strange, you know, It seems a little strange, but whatever. I'm going to let that go. Um, We really do need to give Laszlo a break because clearly if he hadn't have done this, it would have been somebody else. And the fact somebody had to, quote, go there. Somebody had to do something. You know, it was like Bitcoin was like, everybody at the time that was in it was like, oh my God, this is awesome. And But the real wall there was... Nobody had bought a single real item in the world that they could physically consume until Lazo bought the, these damn pizzas. So give the man a break. He self sacrificed. The guy actually should be heralded as a hero rather than the Bitcoin pizza guy that could have been a billionaire. And that, you know, honestly, I don't know if that does anybody any good at all, but be that as it may, that's going to do it for the snooze that you can use. Daily Trainwreck is going to be brought to you by our good friend, Gavin Andreessen. I, I, I think that's how you pronounce Gavin's name. If you don't know who Gavin was, you just kind of got to look it up, but uh early Bitcoin developer that um well, he's he's not happy about Bitcoin and hasn't been for <laughs> years. Uh Gavin in in reply to a, a Alex Gladstein tweet says more plausible BTC was hijacked by a corporation named Blockstream by hiring key developers and heavily censoring discussions. But I don't believe either of those narratives. It is sad the community split into spiteful, warring factions. I just don't get it. I I don't get this constant thing with Blockstream that has almost... And almost all the development is not done. Almost none of the development on on uh, Bitcoin is done by Blockstream. Or they got a satellite, you know, and it's not even their satellite. They rent it. They rent time on a satellite from somebody else. I don't know, maybe Global Star. I, I don't know who the hell it is. I I don't get this. I mean, he says he doesn't believe either of those narratives, but this is bullshit because he's always come up with these bullshit narratives. Let's go through this little thread here just so that we can get some context. Gladstein. Um, is retweeting Gavin Andreessen, who said, "I'm proud to be part of the 99% not running a full node. Zero reason for me to waste bandwidth monitoring other people's transactions." Now that tweet he put out in 2017, and that one was right around the time was you know during the time of uh, great animosity going on in Bitcoin because of the scaling debate, the ever famous. Never leaves us alone. Scaling debate. <clears throat> okay, which was dumb. I mean, the whole reason for full nodes is well. Let's see what Gladstein has to say about that. This is the this is the retweet uh, that he that Gla- Alex Gladstein made. Bitcoin has survived countless attacks on its decentralization. As an example, here's an early once credible developer calling a few years ago for the decimation of full nodes, a core network feature that, among other things, prevents corporate or state hijacking of the protocol. And then, of course, he gives that tweet that I just read where he didn't want to waste his bandwidth. So Gavin writes back, says that is not what prevents corporations or states from hijacking the chain. If the miners get taken over, all the full nodes will go along with whatever transaction history the usurpers decide is correct, which in itself is also a train wreck. Gladstein responds, miners and corporations representing 83% plus of the hash rate colluded in 2017 to hijack the network. They failed and were forced to capitulate because they couldn't overcome Bitcoin's defense system of full nodes. So, in fact, the potential usurpers had to go along with the full nodes. And that's when Gavin decides to make his stupid-ass tweet about Blockstream, which hasn't been relevant for the majority of what's going on in in Bitcoin, for actual years, it's ridiculous. So all in this this one with what uh, Bitcoin meme hub uh, tweeted uh, or, or replied to Gavin because he's got it he's got it nailed down because he's he's reminding us of Gavin uh, Gavin's role in this entire thing. He replies with, the guy who said Craig's signature checks out says now Bitcoin was hijacked by the lizards of Blockstream. Yeah, that's Gavin Andreessen. Gavin Andreessen was part of the great bamboozlement. The bamboozlement or the bamboozle, or I think there's also a bamboozling day, was when Craig first came out. And said he was Satoshi Nakamoto, and this was all around the time of the gentleman's quarterly interview with Craig Wright and Gavin Andreessen was there, and he said, as like a developer, like the head lead developer of Bitcoin, I think he was at the time, he was the one who had commit access for the GitHub repository. He was, I mean, he was as high up there as it gets. He's verified that Craig was Satoshi, when in fact Craig had supplied him a cracked, or had supplied himself with a cracked, hacked laptop that had phony time signatures on it and all manner of other shit. And Gavin bought it hook, line, and sinker. So then, a couple of years later, Gavin comes out and says, You don't need to run a full node. Yes, you do. It would be very helpful for people to run a full node to keep it online, which is why I use a Raspberry Pi to do it. I, t- to run my full node, I did three things. I bought a Raspberry Pi 4 with four gigabytes. I bought a one terabyte solid state hard drive. And then I paid $100 for my node, the software. Uh, let's see. Yeah, that's uh, just go to like, just search my node, Bitcoin full node and you'll find the company and I'm looking at my main screen right now and there's an upgrade available. I have Whirlpool. I have Dojo. I have Explorer. I have BTC pay server. I have ride the lightning. I have this entire thing is running over Tor. It's has VPN. It has an Electrum server. It has LND hub. It has a mempool viewer. It has everything guys. It has absolutely freaking everything in the palm, in something that I can literally hold in one hand that takes almost no electricity to run. And I still have over half of the hard drive to collect more transactions as the blockchain starts to grow. By doing this, I am helping secure the network because I can determine exactly which instance. Of Bitcoin Core I am running. And if whatever reason. We go through another scaling debate type debacle. Like what was described uh, by um, Gladstein. I will make sure that my node is not pointed at malicious miners. It will not validate their chain. We'll, we'll go through the exact same shit we did in 2017. When the price was running up. And fees were high. And... Roger Ver was running around crying and moaning about shit. And all of us basically said no. No. And all the people that got in the room in their suits, in their ties, and the eight or 12 people that signed some freakish letter that I, I believe Melton Demirs wrote or co authored at least. And they said they were going to install, seg- get SegWit in and increase the block size to two megabytes. No. That didn't happen. Got SegWit in, but there was not going to be a block size increase. The entire network basically said, screw you. And that's when the miners finally learned their lesson. They finally learned that they are not in control. They serve the network. I serve the network. I do not serve the miners. Uh, The miners don't serve me. The developers don't serve the miners and they don't serve me. They serve the network. All of us that want to be a part of this have to remember that we're not fighting. We should not be fighting against each other. We should be fighting against all external forces and we should serve the network. If you would like to serve the network, buy a RASPi 4. Get a one terabyte hard drive. Doesn't have to be an SSD. And then go download some node software. It doesn't have to be my node. I happen to use it because I like it. That's my choice. Doesn't have to be your choice. But my node sits in a corner. Nobody knows what the hell it is. If I were to tell my wife to go look at my node uh, in, in the study, she would have zero idea what the hell I'm talking about. She wouldn't know what to look for. I mean, I could show her, but she's going to go, eh, and I guarantee you in a couple of months, she'd forget the hell. That it was in the corner. I mean, it's it's not hard to run a node. and it's but it's but its importance can't be described. i I don't know how else to say it. Please, if you have some extra money, some extra dirty fiat laying around, you can do two things with it. You can buy Bitcoin with it, or you can support the network long term with it. I think all told, I think I'm in for somewhere between three and four hundred dollars i know that's you know not a whole lot of people have like four hundred dollars laying around that they want to put into a little plaque little black box that lives in the corner and supports the network uh but i cannot i cannot tell you how important this is and the fact that there are people that used to run nodes that are no longer running nodes the network needs you to run a node if you were a node runner and you don't run one anymore, consider plugging your node back in, updating updating to the current core and getting a bigger hard drive if you have to and re-download the blockchain and just get back, get get your node out of mothballs. If you don't if you've never run a node, consider running a node. Honestly, I feel a lot better having my blue wallet on my phone running transactions through my node than somebody else's node because I'm not sure what instance of Bitcoin they're running. So just saying, support the network if you can. That's going to be your smoldering pile over there in the corner with Gavin and Andrews. Terrible joke corner brought to you by dad says joke. I recently found a round black piece of plastic with a hole in the middle and grooves on both sides. I picked it up and threw it. It flew for more than 300 yards. I'm sure that must be a record. So bad. freaking terrible, man. I love it. Absolutely love it. Okay. That's going to wrap it up for episode 243 of Bitcoin. And I wish you the best of luck today being hump day. Not that it really freaking matters, I guess. It's, uh, I mean, I don't know. The, The whole world is weird, so whatever. Anyway, you guys have a great day. I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett.